Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to support us by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Welcome back, podcast listener, to episode 28 of the Drawn and Paneled Podcast. With me, as always, today is Rachel. Hello. And John is here. I can never sound as sweet as Rachel, so I'll just say hi. (laughs) (laughs) In today's episode, we'll discuss all the Disney news that's fit to print, the Headless Horseman comes to 1980 Salem, and Teenage Superhero Rebellion. Mm -hmm. All that and more coming up, but before we get into that, I want to ask, what are you guys doing in the comic book world? You know, recently I checked out a uh, a film that uh, was recommended to me by a friend that's actually very comic book focused called Geek and Ye Shall Find. <laughs> I wonder which friend that was. Yeah, just some guy I know who's a comic book <laughs> Just <nerd>. some guy. <laughs> Maybe it's, anybody who's interested in that could listen to the Gen X Grown Up podcast tomorrow. That's right. And they could find out all about it. It's pretty good. Uh, it's it's a documentary with a couple of guys that like emptied their savings accounts and went running around to all these conventions, kind of exploring the basis of why people are such like deep into fandom. Uh, and a lot mm-hmm. of it, they draw back to the comic book origins and not just comic books, but uh, you know, all kinds of mythology. Uh, and uh, I hadn't seen it and you recommended it to me and I checked it out and it was really enlightening. So you did like it then? I sure did. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, have you happened to see this film? It's just recently come out, I think. But have you happened to take a look at it yet? I have not. It sounds awesome because I love conventions and I love geek stuff. So, And one of the largest focuses on, on the documentary is all about cosplay and how people relate the cosplay that they do to their personal lives and back and forth, everything. It's really poignant. There's a lot of, you know, tearing up moments. At least there were Aww. for me. I can't speak Aww. for John, but well, they, you know, we like know the John ca- has no tears. <laughs> <laughs> John, remember the Iron Man suit guy who mm-hmm. was visiting the sick children in the hospital, bringing them comic books and everything. I mean, that was, that was some pretty, you know, highly emotional stuff for me. I was, yeah, there was, uh, there was a little dust in my eye, maybe. Yeah. It, it was very sweet. <laughs> yeah. It was a well yeah. done production and it, uh, it was, it was, again, they, uh, approach it very seriously, but not like stoically, you know, like we really want to dig into. It's not just we are fans. Yay. It's we are fans. Why? It's very interesting. Right. Yeah. This is one that I would actually go out and purchase to support rather than just, you know, find out there on the public domain, as I often do with Gen X Grown Up. Yeah. Again, I mean, that's it was not what public domain means. George. That's that it's in <laughs> it's I, in I, a domain I, and it's in the public. It's it public is now domain. public. Yes. Very adamant. That's it. You're mis- 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 misinterpreting. <laughs> But Rachel, if you have a chance, then you should definitely check it out, especially if you enjoy, like you said, conventions, geek culture, cosplay. Uh, there's a lot of great interviews with comic book, you know, superstar Stan Lee starts and ends the whole film with, you know, in, with interviews, yeah. actually, probably some of his last interviews, because it was I'm sure in it was. 2018 that they interviewed him. Mm-hmm. So that's a tearjerker moment on its own. Yeah, I actually met, got to meet Stanley before he died. Really? Yeah. Um, Me and dad were going to a con and he had a photo op there and we're like, yes. <laughs> yep, sold. And then uh, I was wearing my glasses. So the flash kept going off. So I got like an extra 30 seconds with him, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, I I never got a chance to sit down and interview Stan Lee before he passed. Unfortunately, I really would have liked to have done that. But at least there in the modern MCU era, there is tons of material out there on him because, you know, up until I guess the first Iron Man film, really, when he started doing a lot of those cameos and everything, there was just a few things here and there. Like he had done some little talk show segments and some guess who I am game show type of things. Yeah, where a lot of those are surfacing. Hidden, mm-hmm. yep. Yeah. That, that was one really good thing about the MCU, what they did. They like nodded to who started all this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that people of my generation and later know who he is. They're not just looking at these characters and going, oh, Disney made them. No, someone else no, did, did not. way no, before no. Yeah. you were a thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that nostalgia will live on in all the stuff that's been created lately. I know we've got quite a bit of news mm-hmm. coming up on the Disney MCU front. So let's jump into that right after this. Holy moly. The city square is turning into a jungle. No time to waste. Shazam. Don't you know that you're a Hey there, Drawn and Paneled Podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. 
I'm John, and along with Mo. Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. All right, so we're getting into news now, and I would like to start with something that is not about Spider-Man. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have plenty of time to talk about that in a minute, right? be the first and last thing not focused around (laughs) Spider-Man. We're going to go into Wanda and Vision. Oh, this is, I'm guessing you're going to talk a little bit about the new series then. Yes, it's called WandaVision so far. Super original. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Real creative, those people at Disney there. It's going to be on Disney Plus, and they already brought back the original Wanda and Vision. So Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany will be in it. And That's uh, Randall awesome. Park, um, the guy from Fresh Off the Boat, and Ant-Man is also going to be oh, in it. Oh, right. Kat Dennings, who I have no reference for. <laughs> <laughs> Kat Dennings is uh, from that Two Broke girls tv show right oh i I do recognize that name yeah yeah okay yeah she's one of the waitresses on that show and then of course was she in in thor Thor, you see yeah she's the so natalie portman's assistant yep i know who she is now yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah they're both gonna be in it i have no idea what they're gonna be doing if they're not i'm assuming they'll be reprising their roles from the mcu that they've already done probably because this is supposed to fit in they said it's uh, supposed to flow just as well. It's going to be on Disney Plus, not in theaters, but they said it should work just the same because I know they're trying to integrate their own channel in with the MCU to get people to buy Disney Plus subscriptions. So Yeah, <laughs> that's a big part of it. So maybe you could educate me just a little bit on, I don't fully understand the whole Wanda and Vision thing. I know there were two characters and they kind of had a, a relationship and I know well, we could probably die forever in the comics. This, but here, yes. Here's what I understand about Wanda and Vision. Wanda, I don't know who she is. I saw her... I saw her in movies and don't get who she is. And Vision, okay. like, I, he's like a manifestation of Jarvis, and he's got a gem in his head. I know that's, yeah. that's like really what I understand he's, about him. I don't know to fully uh, the the description in the MCU when they're talking about Wanda and Pietro. He's fast. She's weird. That's about as good as it ever gets. Of Scarlet Witch. <laughs> okay. Um, now you have to kind of dig into the comic book lore a little bit to explain them. So uh, Wanda is actually the Scarlet Witch. And the Scarlet Witch in comic book lore is a daughter of Magneto. Oh, is that right? I mean, they retconned that later, but... They did. They retconned that. But And she has this ability to control these magical powers much in the same way that Doctor Strange does. So think of her as, you know, Doctor Strange a little bit in that same mysticism, you know, controlling magic and everything. Uh, She had a lot of different powers to start out, but that's basically where they've wound up with her in the MCU. Vision, you're right. He's a manifestation of Jarvis, plus a couple of other programs that have been combined, you know, over time. And then he got that physical form in one of those, uh, I think it, I don't think it was an Avengers film or yeah, maybe it was, it was uh, the first Avengers film. Anyway. Age of Ultron is when they create Vision. Yeah, yeah it was, was Age it of Ultron. Ultron. Age of Ultron. Was, yeah. But that, that stone that's in his head, that's one of the Infinity, the Infinity Stones. Stones. It's the yellow yeah, one. Yeah, the Mind right? Stone. Whatever mm-hmm. that one is. Yep. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, right where in his skull. That's Can why it's the Mind Stone. Can control his density so. or something? <laughs> He can. He can control his density so he can allow himself to fade or his molecules to separate or however he does it. And then when you go to punch him, you just punch right through him. And then, of course, the Mind Stone, he can shoot beams of energy out of that. And he can fly. So, okay. And they are a couple, and so they're going to team up in this new series. Yeah, they're actually married. Rachel was right about that. In the comic books, they've had that relationship yeah, for a long time. Apparently in the TV show, they're going to be focusing on that relationship. And that is all they'll tell us. <laughs> well, it makes sense because in the last few MCU films, we, start, we saw the start of that type of relationship, but they never got to marriage before all the horrendous things that happened in Infinity War, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So it'd be nice to see that. It was one of my favorite storylines growing up. I used to love to read the Vision Avengers comic books. Can we move on to all of our uh, Spider-Man news now, since that was the beginning and end of all the Spider-Man 
<laughs> I guess. Wow, Rachel is completely Dude. down on Spidey. What What's you... up with that, Rachel? I'm not. I'm not down on Spidey. I'm down on the fact that they finally gave me a Spider-Man. I absolutely love and now they have taken yeah, him away from it up. me <laughs> yeah well if it helps at all i will mention spider gwen in this news item does that help you any at all rachel that helps i'm good now <laughs> <laughs> well george you mentioned the d23 the uh, big disney convention they have every couple of years and uh, right. one of the cool announcements that came out of it was uh, a new spider-man cartoon aimed at preschoolers called spidey Marvel's Spidey and his amazing friends. Uh, really? Set to drop that in title sounds damn familiar. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. That sounds cute. Yep. Well, the one we had was pretty much for like elementary schoolers, you know, kind of uh, preteens. And this one is yeah. squarely aimed at preschoolers, though. So it's it's on Disney Juniors where it's going to air. Okay. Yeah. And the, the <laughs> that's Disney. Get them while they're young. <laughs> right. Don't wait. We have to own you right away. <laughs> and so the giveaway. So if you want to know what the theme of this is, it is really captured in this one quote from the article that I read, which was the web slinger is used to working solo. But now Peter Parker must discover what it takes to become tr- a truly amazing superhero, being a spider friend who works well with others. Oh, share your toys. <laughs> yeah. And you said something about Gwen Stacy? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to include uh, not just Peter Parker, but it will have uh, Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Gwen, other heroes like the Hulk and Black Panther. They'll all be in there. It's all of his amazing friends, and he has lots of amazing ones. I wonder if they're going to use the original actors as the voice talent or if they're going to go outside. Well, with the, with the schism that has happened recently... Uh, who knows yeah. who's allowed to be where and uh, I guess. And be what? Yeah. 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 And I know you're going to jump into that, George. But while we're still shining light before we get into the darkness, it sounds <laughs> cute. Uh, the artwork for it looks very pop vinyl like it's big heads and big eyes. And it's almost like Spidey Babies is what it kind of looks like. It should be cute. I mean, the animation looks, I would prefer it to be a cartoon style over the whole 3D rendered yeah, thing. Yeah, I would too. But yeah. it should be cute. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's <sighs> one thing that we probably got to talk about that's not quite so cute. Do we have to? <sighs> Spider-Man Tom Holland is out of the MCU. This is why we can't uh. have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know how much you guys know about the background of the story. It's been everywhere in the comic book world. So I'm assuming you've at least heard of it mm-hmm. if you don't know a lot about it. But essentially, there's squabbling over the licensing deals and how much each big monolithic company is going to make, you know, as they always want to argue about. The original deal that brought Spider-Man into the MCU was that Marvel would get 5% of all of the sales of the MCU Spider-Man films. So the Avenger films, the two Spider-Man standalone films, Marvel got, Marvel and Disney, I should say, they got 5% of that revenue. Yeah. Yeah. And Sony got 95%. However, Marvel and Disney retained all of the licensing rights for merchandising. So any toys that were being sold, any posters, any pop vinyls, whatever, that all went to Disney. Are they making any merchandise? I haven't seen any anywhere I've looked. Because it's uh, all been, been sold. Bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a little bit. Just, just, just every freaking wear plastered on yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah, I know. The original deal was for these five films. When they came back to the table to renegotiate, Sony didn't want to give Marvel any more of the film rights. Disney Marvel wanted 50% of the film rights mm-hmm. because they felt that Kevin Feig and the Marvel team at Disney are the ones who really helped reinvent Vent the whole yeah. Spider-Man franchise because they're doing the entire the reason they're doing the damn well, work. <laughs> the entire reason that Sony came to them in the first place was the Andrew Garfield films that really hurt Sony's bottom line. They lost a crap ton of money on those movies, and well, they quilt killed Gwen Stacy in movie two. Yeah, <laughs> they they made a lot of people very unhappy with those two films. Although personally, I did enjoy Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I thought he was a decent choice. I love the current Spider-Man just that much more. Tom Holland is unbelievably perfect for the role. So I heard the reason why they didn't bring over Andrew Garfield when they went to the MCU. It's because they thought he was too cool to be Spider-Man. Yes, yeah. that's I've seen yeah. that written in several places that he didn't look awkward enough for the role, which is a big component for the Spider-Man, you know, mythos. He's That's super an awkward valid. teenager. Yeah, of course. Yeah, gets picked yeah. on and everything. Like, you can see Andrew Garfield getting picked on by the nerdy version of his bully in high school that you yeah, saw you in the first Spider-Man film. Yeah, you in a locker. Yeah. <laughs> I sympathize with Garfield because, I mean, I get left out of so many things because I'm way too cool, so I understand how he must feel. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you guys know 
how this originally all got split off from the very dark days of Marvel in the 90s, how they ended up losing the film rights to this character? I don't. They were losing a lot of money, right? They were trying to sell stuff off to make money. Like fan- they lost Fantastic Four around that time too, right? Exactly. So they were actually going bankrupt in the early 90s, right after the whole comic book crash from all the collector's market, right? And they sold off their three most popular franchises for film rights just to stay afloat. And that was the X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Spider-Man. So Sony ended up with Spider-Man and Fox ended up with the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. So that's how we ended up with the the crap that was Fantastic Four (laughs) films. And the X-Men franchise, which on its own was decent for a number of films. There was a couple of duds mixed in here and there, but they were pretty solid films most of the way around. And Spider-Man went to Sony and we got the original films, that first trilogy, which was the Tobey Maguire. Good. Yeah, epic. Yeah, Tobey Maguire. Of, I'm, I'm sorry. You can say it's pretty good with that last one the where he's like one, pointing at everyone, yeah. dancing down the street. That was <laughs> awful. Well, that's why, you know, pretty good. Like first two, good, good. And then uh, forget the third one. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like on average, you go to college, they threw out your lowest score. So they're pretty good because you throw exactly. out the third one. Yeah. <laughs> So that's how they lost the franchise film rights in the first place. And then they ended up in all these different negotiations. They ended up getting everything back from Fox recently, although they well, still they bought ac- Fox. Yeah, well, <laughs> they bought Fox. They, they didn't and they haven't announced anything yet for the Fantastic Four or X-Men, although I have heard a rumor that the X-Men cast will be completely redone. It'll be all new actors in the roles. Well, they so, have to the way they ended the last one. Well, none of that's going to be MCU canon, though. Thank God. So they can start over they want. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, hopefully they'll pick some good people in those. I mean, there's a lot of different stuff to unwrap there. But the wind up of it is, as of this moment, as of this recording, Spider-Man is still not in the MCU. Kevin Feig went on to say, I'm feeling about Spider-Man gratitude and joy. We got to make five films within the MCU with Spider-Man, two standalone films and the three Avenger films. It was a dream that I never thought would happen. It was never meant to last forever. We knew there was a finite amount of time that we'd be able to do this and we told the story we wanted to tell and I'll always be thankful for that. I call bullshit. (laughs) That sounds like posturing to me. I mean, it is. they did not wrap it up at the end of this one like, and we're done with Spider-Man. It was, he is being set up to be the next like local earthbound sort of leader of the Avengers and they have, they are in a corner right now. And so I, I think he's posturing with that statement to go, yeah, we don't care. We're too cool for school. But if they the druthers they need spider-man back because they were building something around him yeah well he kind of had to make that statement because of all the stuff that's been going on this past week right i mean there have been talks about how greedy marvel and disney are about trying to get 50 percent of the film rights and how evil kevin is even though he's really righted the mcu franchise ship so my whole thing is uh, they're greedy they just want money yeah that's what corporations do <laughs> at least we <laughs> yeah. get something enjoyable out of it go make Right. Money. How dare they want half? <laughs> it's half. They're not saying give me 99%. They're like, we're doing lots of work. How about half? You know, it's well, and it's I'm sure they shouldered banana. half the cost of making those films. More I mean, than that, probably. probably yeah. more than Kevin that. Feig, you know, and let's talk about it. The last film made over a billion at the box office. Really? You can't split that. You can't yeah. go 500,000 and be happy. And they did all the work to bring yep. that character and that franchise back to life from when you screwed it up sony come on yeah you know at least have some good faith negotiations they ask for 50 percent. you counter with 25 you know we've all watched pawn stars then they drop to 48 <laughs> and then you counter with 35 <laughs> and eventually we meet somewhere around 37 and, and eventually you'll walk out like and take that. spider-man with you because you're gonna put it up on ebay <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> saw how integral he is to the new MCU storyline and they wanted more money. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's also part and parcel because of the fact that they feel a little bit of ownership. They revived that character in that franchise from nothingness. Those Andrew Garfield films had really you know, hit the bottom of the barrel and they brought that character back from that and turned it into something that was bigger than what it started out at. And so, did not give us another origin story all over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we, I mean, well, they kind of did with that first well, one a I little mean, bit. They, but you knew how Spider-Man got his powers. You knew who he was. They're like, we get it. You yeah. know who Spider-Man is. Here you go. Here's a Spider-Man. <laughs> Megatron has fallen! I 
Welcome to the Drawn and Paneled Hot Seat Interview. In this part of the show, we sit down with a special creator, writer, artist, or celebrity from the comic book world to find out what makes them tick. Today's guest is Alex Benkita, co-creator and writer of Headless from Scout Comics. Alex, how you doing, buddy? I'm really good. I, I actually really like that intro. It got me pumped up. So, you know, and, <laughs> there and I you also go. like the, the hot seat concept. I've never been in a hot seat, so the, to be I in know, one is, is right? super exciting. That's, that's It's great. all about high temperatures and upbeat tempo here at Drawn and Paneled. And it is the summer, so it's perfect, you know, and I don't exactly. have the air conditioner on. So, I mean, this is this is, this is is becoming a literal hot seat right now. So, I mean, I am there in a leather chair. So, you know, there we go. Well, you're talking about summer. So, let's find out a little bit more about you. Tell us where home is. Where were you born? Where's hometown? Uh, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. So, uh, Bensonhurst specifically. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like I have to do that when I say Brooklyn. I already could hear all, like, the Brooklyn people. Like, where in Brooklyn? That, Brooklyn's a big place. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Brooklyn Bensonhurst, I grew up there and then uh, I moved out to Vancouver, Canada eventually because my wife went to college there. And ah, then okay. after that, um, I moved. So we both moved from Brooklyn to Vancouver. And then after that, we moved to Seattle and I'm in Seattle right now. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit more about your work in the comic book industry. Sure. Uh, I've been self-publishing comics since around 2016. Uh, I think my first self-published book was, uh, I put them both out at the same time, was a book called Captives and another book called Champions of Earth. So Captives okay. was kind of a sword and sorcery fantasy book. And then Champions of Earth is a kind of, I want to say like a humor superhero book, but it's kind of um, like almost like a satire kind of okay. book. All um, right. And then, yeah, so I put those books out. And then from there, I just kept producing work. And uh, I started working with Robert Ahmad, who is the penciler on Captives. And um, eventually I pitched Headless to him and he really liked it, but he wanted to change certain things about it. So I said, okay, well, then you could be co-creator and we'll come up with some ideas together. And the current version of the book now is something Robert and I came up with. And then we pitched it around and we pitched it to Scout and they liked it. And I wanted to work with Scout. So I said, yeah, let's do it. And that's how I got here. <laughs> yeah, Scout is, they're an awesome company to work with. We've done a lot of interviews and reviews of their books and they're we're big fans of theirs here at Drawn and Panel. Give us a, like a little elevator pitch of Headless. Uh, elevator pitch. The fastest way I can do it is uh, the Headless Horseman meets the 80s and the Salem Witch Trials. That's that's pretty much how I do it. So what's actually really cool about it, because I'm really into the Salem Witch Trials. So the Headless Horseman in the book is actually a historical figure from the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. It's, it's pretty neat. And then um, there's there's a lot of really cool Salem Witch Trials re references in there. But then the book takes place in the 80s. So there's like this fun. It's like it's kind of funny to say it's a revamp of the Headless Horseman, but it's in the 80s. So it's like a 80s revamp, I guess is the word I want. Uh, you know, here at Drawn and Paneled and Gen X Grown Up, we love the 80s, obviously. So we're right there in our wheelhouse. I try really hard to write it like it's an 80s movie, if that makes sense. Okay, sure. Um, there's lines in there I'll write and I'm thinking this is incredibly corny but really 80s in a good way <laughs> like, 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 like a like a one-liner pun I'm like mm, wonderful <laughs> I just get nice. that line <laughs> <laughs> well tell us a little bit about what your inspiration was for the book obviously you said you're big into the Salem witch trials yeah um I think what it was was that you know when you're growing up you, you kind of have to read certain books in school you know? sure. <laughs> like, like like you gotta read this book and this book so I think right. what it was was that just for starters as a kid I watched a lot of cartoons and TV and I think over the years I just kept seeing the Headless Horseman pop up and stuff. And it wasn't mm -hmm. all at once. You know, it was like, what's cool about the Headless Horseman is I feel like every five years is like some Headless Horseman thing out, you know, every 10 years, like slowly kind of keeps coming back. And um, so I've always liked the Headless Horseman, but my biggest beef with the Headless Horseman has always been, I feel like from the stuff I've seen, you don't really, he's not really a character. He's more of just like a monster, you know? Okay. So right. I said, I want to make a version of the Headless Horseman that is an actual character. And you understand the character's motivations and what they're doing. And, and I think that, um, Sleepy Hollow kind of did that with Chris Walken as the Headless Horseman. And he has right. a reason. But I kind of took that a step further. So anyway, in addition to that, growing up, I had to read all these books in school. And I had to read this book on the Salem Witch Trials. And I was really, really into it. Like, I was obsessed with it. And I, I couldn't believe this actually happened. Yeah. <laughs> 
I was right. like, I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe this is real. Like this happened in this country. And then um, in addition, I remember it was so funny. I was so into it. I remember once I was reading it and my teacher walked by and grabbed it and threw it across the room and then just went back to teaching, <laughs> which was pretty. Wow. Well, that's, you know, Catholic school, right? I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got you. <laughs> and, and you just you just took it. Like, you didn't say a word. <laughs> I, actually, what's funny is I remember as my book flew across the room, my first thought was, oh, my God, I hope my mom doesn't find out but at no point <laughs> at no point did i think i can't believe the teacher did that or this is this it was all like oh my god i'm gonna get in trouble like <laughs> i should have stopped re- how dare right, just I indoctrinated read? fear all the way around right <laughs> it was always fear it was always fear based <laughs> <laughs> well i've got one last little thing hopefully this is not something that you'll fear but before we get out of here we want to run you through our four rapid fire questions of death are you ready sir i mean i didn't know death was involved but okay you know like <laughs> is, this, is this like russian roulette like you're just gonna well, you know, the... we always kind of just leave that open to interpretation. So okay, okay. we'll see what happens. <laughs> all right, all right. Go for it. So can all I right. just, if I don't like the question, can I be like, kill me? Next question. <laughs> Is that how we're going to Sure, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> question number one, your favorite Muppet. Oh, uh, Gonzo. Okay. See, easy question, right? That well, wasn't I'm, too bad. I'm fond of animal too, you know? <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> question number two, a guilty pleasure that you're ashamed to admit to. Uh, I can give you one I was ashamed of when I was 14 or like younger. Okay. Um, but I'm not ashamed of. Ne- no, I'm not going to do that. Let me think of something better. I was going to um, say, this is a PG show, so. Yeah, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> it, it wasn't like that, but I, I, I can think of something better. That's that's really hard because there's not a lot of stuff I'm ashamed of now. Um, right. I guess i'm not ashamed of it but i think it's funny i'm really really into um common rider from like the 80s and 70s okay uh i just think it's funny because like when i bring it i I acknowledge it as a guilty pleasure but i'm not ashamed of it but like around certain people i'm like more reluctant to bring it up (laughs) (laughs) that qualifies then i think question number three your favorite 80s film or tv show oh why would you hit me with that question that's like way too hard to answer No matter what I say, I'm going to immediately think, oh, there's this other 80s thing I like. Well, I'm going to 80s movie. Um, or TV show. Either one. Okay. So I, I'll do one of each because it's too hard to pick one. All right. So, I'll let you have one of each. All right. All right. Well, thank you, good sir. Um, 80s movie, I'm going to have to say probably Blade Runner. Ooh, good choice. Absolutely. Uh, great choice. I love that movie. Um, And then in addition to, oh, and then favorite TV show. That's too hard. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pass on that. That's too hard. You know, all right. We'll, we'll uh, just keep it with Blade Runner, which is a fine choice all the way around. <laughs> fine choice. Yes, yes. I like that. Final question. Your favorite comic book or character that you did not create yourself? Favorite comic book or character? Can I use manga? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Then I'm probably going to say Takamura from Hajime no Ippo. Probably one okay. of my favorite characters. Um, but probably one that, I don't know, it's a little obscure, so... Uh, That's okay. Obscurity is still... <laughs> Perfectly acceptable here. Takamura, Hajime no Ippo, and then, you know, maybe, let's say, Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z, because a, uh, okay. a lot of people know that. So that's Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of people. Good. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z's, it's pretty much pop culture now. Yes, yes. Exactly. So let's <laughs> let's go with that. Alex, before we get out of here, give us just a brief 30-second plug of where everybody can find your work. Uh, yeah, you can find my work at um, scoutcomics.com. And then you can also find my self-published work at frightcomics.com. And then you can find me on the internet at, uh, you can find me at frightcomics.com. You can email me there. Or you can follow me on Facebook and then uh, some other forms of social media one day. Uh, Alex Bank. <laughs> I keep putting it off, but I got to do it. Uh, Alex Banky. Uh, B as in boy, A-N-C-H-I-T-T-A. Just type that in. I'll pop up somewhere. There you go. Alex, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. And podcast listeners, we'll be back right after this. Welcome, Kitty Pride. I'm sorry. I guess I faced through the computer. Up first today on the roundtable is the book from Scout Comics that we were just talking about in that interview, Headless Number One. This was written by Alex Banchita, and the art was done by Robert Ahmad. Synopsis is basically Salem, Massachusetts, 1987. Two teenagers have been found dead, brutally murdered, but not by a man. When gruesome murders become a common occurrence in this sleepy town, it is evident that the Headless Horseman has returned. Is it though? That's what I was about to say. I don't know that it's evident. Is it evident? At least in this first issue. I thought he took heads. That was my whole thing. Like, I I thought 
the headless horseman took your head. I I guess I don't really remember the mythos other than the Ichabod Crane cartoon that I watched when I was like in the third grade. So shoving teenagers in refrigerators did not top my the headless horseman's back list. Yeah, (laughs) he was saving his head for later. Maybe you know Jeffrey Dahmer style or something. I mean, I liked it. I mean, I like that the Templars are the cops. That way you don't have some creepy guy sneaking into a crime scene with a cross. Right. They can actually <laughs> yeah. rope that off. And But there's Nicolas Cage trying to go through tunnels and yeah. find the Constitution of the United States or yeah. something like that. They, but right? they're not nice cops. That. They're, they're kind of oh, jerks. God, no. <gasps> yeah. Especially the sheriff, man. That guy, you know, I thought for a second he was going to be the evil bad guy the way he was, you know, speaking and everything. I yeah. was like, oh. And then they slay a demon. And I'm like, huh. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not sure, like, what's the big deal with this? Because the whole time they're talking about the newbie and the rookie from the small town and that they're going to have to kill him. And I'm like, why? Yeah, that's, see, that's why I said these Templar <laughs> cops are kind of jerks with the new guy. I didn't, I, I guess the new guy is not a Templar is what I picked up on it. He yeah, must not be. They, not, well, they talked about, you know, he transferred in from another place and why did we bring him in and this stuff? Yeah. Can't you make him a Templar? Like, is that... <laughs> Not a thing. How do you make new Templars? It's either you're already here or you're dead. That's it. You got two choices. We have daddy Templars and mommy Templars. That's the only way to make new Templars. You can't indoctrinate. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was pretty cool. uh, The the part where they were in the arcade. That was the part that really spoke to me because any any book where you've got them talking about Rocky at the arcade while they're playing a semblance of Dragon's Lair and they're off to a pretty good start, I thought. (laughs) Yeah, that was nice. That kind of harkened back to our 80s video game arcade roots right yeah you know, it was now it, it's like super tropey i mean it's exactly the kind of arcade that you picture that you would see in an 80s film you know it's the the guys hanging out and the bullies and the the, the nerds and the geeks and they're all <laughs> talking about latest films but it was interesting and it did a good job of reminding me that we we're in the 80s because nothing else yes. really in the book so far had reinforced to me what era we were in and so they until they started talking about the pop culture frankly except the lack of cell phones <laughs> Something else that struck me in here is that, again, you alluded, George, at the beginning of, of this book that, you know, was this about the Headless Horseman? Was it obvious? Uh, everything I kind of remember, everything I thought I knew about the Headless Horseman and Ichabod Crane and Sleepy Hollow, it, I didn't see it in here. I didn't know the Headless Horseman had demons that were serving him or that they would show up and inform right. you that you were the Headless Horseman and rip off your head. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is happening? I didn't get it. <laughs> it did feel a little odd. I mean, but I, I like that they're trying to reinvent the Headless Horseman story. Doing something new. I just retelling that. it yeah. in the modern era. Like you could take Ichabod Crane instead of riding a horse. Now he's the motorcycle horseman or something. I don't know. Or the mm-hmm. Headless Motorcycle Rider or whatever. You could do something like that. And oh, yes, you've modernized the Headless Horseman story. But at least here they took it down a different track, which you know might be interesting as we move forward into issues two, three, and four, I think it's at least got a little bit more potential to keep readers interested than the traditional Headless Horseman story. And I'm okay with people doing something different. It just, it, it felt like there were almost no connective tendons back to the original, uh, kind of original work. So it didn't feel like, it, I went back and I'm like, what is, what's Headless got to do with it? And it wasn't until the end that I said, oh, that Headless, now I get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the twist at the end, it worked on me. It makes me want to read the next issue and see how they'll start to Tying that stuff in, like you were saying, like the horse and removing right, people's heads yeah. and that kind of stuff. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to see where that goes, especially since they, I try not to give away the ending of this book, they picked a headless horseman who I would not have seen coming. Yeah, good point. I didn't see that either. Um, whenever I started reading those that last page or two, I was trying to find the Headless Horseman in the comic book like John was yeah. saying. Mm-hmm. This finally gave it to me. And I think that's the mark of a great issue number one. And I say great because I think this really was a great issue number one. It drags you along enough to keep you interested in the story. Like, okay, why is this happening? Why is it? <laughs> and then at the end, boom, it hits you with something like, well, crap, now I got to buy number two. Well, I picked up a book and recommended for uh, this episode that uh, you guys were gracious enough to allow the comic book noob to recommend. Uh, <laughs> when, I try to, when I'm looking through, you know that I've said that when I'm looking for something, I just pretend I'm standing at the comic book store. I'm like, what here speaks to me? What What is of interest? And rarely is it the regular superhero stuff. It's something unique. Uh, and I ran across this one uh, you found for me, which was the Gears of War pop number one. And by pops, I guess yeah. I mean pop vinyls number one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Published by IDW, written by Georgia Ball and 
and artist is Nico Pena. Uh, Gears Pop brings together iconic Gears characters in a cute Funko Pop style. Perfect slice of mobile mayhem. And uh, I, I would tend to agree with that. that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this one is exactly what I would think if you were trying to combine pop vinyl with a video game. That's what this comic mm-hmm. book really spoke to. Disclaimer, I know absolutely nothing about Gears of War. So I was so <laughs> oh, lost so, here. Really? Well, don't don't feel bad. I don't either. I just, I felt like that this felt like what a video game would be <laughs> well, really? in comic book form. Okay. I yeah. don't know anything yeah. about Gears of War. John, you're a big Gears of War so, guy. So disclaimer, I have a Gears of War chainsaw gun lancer hanging over the entrance to my man cave <laughs> and I have a statue of Marcus Venus in the corner. So I know a little bit about Gears of War. I've been playing it for a while. It's a, it's a great franchise. Uh, I, I picked up initially on Xbox and now it's, you know, Windows or wherever you can play it. It's a third person, gritty, post-apocalyptic thing with lots of good mythology. So it's a good story-based action fighting game. Um, but the thing that grabbed me about it was the the mashup of Gears of War, which is super gritty and gnarly, and the pop vinyls, which are super cute and adorbs, and right. what they would do with them. The thing that grabbed me right away that I, I didn't realize until like page three was it's not a story. It feels like a comic strip that came right out yeah. of mm-hmm. the Sunday newspaper. It's little stories, almost like Spy versus Spy. It was like, what's this guy going to do? Oh, he's going to do a, a, a grenade. Oh, he messed with a grenade and it blew up. So it felt more like a comic strip than a comic book to me. Yeah, I really dug that. At first, I read the first one and then I saw the end and I'm like, hmm. the end? <laughs> That's page quick. three. Yeah. What the <laughs> hell? Right. The end? And then the next page came over and some of the characters were still there and I was like, how? What? What's going on here? But it was really smart the way they did it. John, you mentioned Spy versus Spy. Yep. That's exactly what this felt like. So Mad Magazine Spy versus Spy. I was huge fan of that back in the day. It definitely gave me like a Team Fortress 2 vibe. I don't know if either yes, of you have played yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does for sure. You're right. It, it created that like characterizations and they're all like fighting in this war, but mm-hmm. they're really just interacting with with each other on a more like uh, like an office environment almost, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like two rival companies. Exactly right. Yep. I mean, I, I liked the the first strip. I mean, it got three pages and in the end. I was like, what did John pick? But <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with him? <laughs> the the Groot Rocket Raccoon thing they did was really cute. Yeah, the, that was in that first story, right? Yeah, the, Boom. the boomer. Yes. The boomer is, is the, the word boom is equivalent to I am Groot for him. That's all he can say. And, and yeah. that comes mm-hmm. straight from the boomer in the game is this giant guy that he walks around with like a grenade launcher. And you hear him coming from down the hall and he's like, Boom. Well, that's all he can say. <laughs> really? And so they carried that so over. So he does say that he in the does, game. right. He may say other things, but that's <laughs> all you want to hear because he's just a monster. But they took the monsters and they turned them into fully fleshed kind of characters in this book. Yeah, I, I, the whole... It was really neat. Don't yeah. you know he's my best friend? Started playing in my head as I was reading that one. <laughs> At this game, I mentioned they have chainsaw bayonet style guns, and they typically like, right. finish people off by like cutting their torso in half. But in <laughs> this comic book, when they shot somebody, ding, they turned into like a little coin with their picture on it. It yeah. looked cloud of smoke, super bloodless kid and friendly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a it was a cuter version of what happens in Scott Pilgrim, right? It yeah. was, yeah. Like, they like, kill somebody and they burst into coins. This was just a cuter version of that, but I thought it was perfectly appropriate for the way that they had done the book all the way through because it was this is something I could hand to like a seven year old sure and be okay oh, yeah. with them reading right. yeah for sure it's a gateway drug to get into Gears of War so they can start chainsawing guys in half yeah of course the book felt exactly to me the way pop vinyls come to life should feel like remember the first like Lego video games like yep that's exactly yeah. how Lego minifigure would act when I saw yep. this I said yep that's exactly the way a pop vinyl character would behave John I'm not a big fan of kitty comic books normally I will be getting issues number two three four wow. of this thing oh, this was really good it was a great choice it well, was thanks. really it, cute totally accidental <laughs> the whole like well they get bagel Wednesdays I was like yeah, yeah that's it's negotiable <laughs> <laughs> Rachel, what did you find for the roundtable? Well, we saved the best for last here. Oh, come on and now. Oh, did we? <laughs> 
we got Pretty Violent Number One. It's Image Comics. It's written by Jason Young and Derek Hunter, and the art by Derek Hunter. And it's about Gamma Ray, who wants to be a superhero, and why the heck shouldn't she? She's been strong since <laughs> she was a baby, and the only problem is all her siblings are hero murdering criminals. But other than that, she's <laughs> yeah. great. <laughs> but you don't find that out right away. No, no, you don't. You it's it's awesome. <laughs> Before we get into talking about the content of this, can I just call out the subtitle of this book, which sure. is dot, 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 absolutely. with lots of swears. Yeah. <laughs> and they live up to that. They absolutely do. And it didn't bother me. The, the, the juxtaposition of all of the like Pulp Fiction style profanity with the hyper cute kind of like a Dexter's Laboratory kind of style artwork, it it, it yep. did something for me. It, it worked. It, the way it didn't mesh, worked, it meshed in my brain. Yeah. You know, I missed the subtitle and until I read the first page of the book and then I went, wait, what? what? And what then I saw, it? I went back and looked at the cover and I was like, oh, with lots of yeah, swears. Okay. They're not kidding. I'm with you now. <laughs> it was in the fine print. I just missed uh-huh. it. There was not a single thing I did not absolutely love about this comic. <laughs> not nothing, right? Nothing. Every single thing, including the paper it was printed Everything. on. Everything. I loved the, it. Yeah. It was wonderful. I mean, I got digital, <laughs> but yeah, it was great. <laughs> I, I like that you see her swoop in and there's this big like chick holding up this kid and everyone's like, oh, no, you're holding that kid. And she swoops in to save him and she just saved the villain. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a lot of confusion in this book. Like, wait, who is who and uh, who are you supposed to be? Are you really from the past or, <laughs> you know, and yeah. it, it really relied on people either like challenging the reader with not knowing who was the good guy and the bad guy until it was too late. And then even questioning that once you decided it. And then challenging the characters by, you know, somebody coming from the future to save them and they just shoot them in the face and they go, oh, crap, that was somebody from the future. It was a lot of. (laughs) And I think and that was to add to your confusion. That was a separate story from the main story. The one that you're talking about. there. It was almost a side story. It was it was the B story. It was like an after the fact. Yeah, Yeah, it was. And I thought that was really nice because how many TV shows, John, have we watched over the years where they have the A story thread and the the B B story story thread, right? right? Mm -hmm. And that's what this was. They just separated it out by the pages which i think is the way to do it with comic books if you try to interweave those in a comic book like they do in a tv show you're just going to get lost and confused at least in this one you know you have the a story thread then you get like oh is it like three pages of the b story thread but it made me want to keep reading both stories Mm -hmm. i mean both of them were so well done and in shorter amounts of time right because normally you'd have the full 24 pages for the whole story they broke it up into these two stories i really liked it i i'm with rachel there's nothing about this book that i don't like most of my observations about this book are about how the juvenile humor made me chuckle and (laughs) one of them was right away one of the characters called the other one mecha dicks and i'm like yeah that's a weird name i'm like oh no his name is mechanics or mechanics right and he was just messing with him and i'm like you just don't see that often enough because that's exactly how you would do that and then there was there in that first scene where they're uh, the the giant robot decides he's going to fight by throwing killing people in in the surrounding area and throwing their body yeah. parts at each other <laughs> and it was it was so beautifully gruesome and cartoony it, it, like it wasn't it wasn't obscene violence it was a super cartoony violence and at one point one of the bystanders says well don't kill me unless you're going to finally finish her off with me and then go ahead i love <laughs> right. that part he's like oh god no but you make sure you kill her with my body <laughs> i think john after reading that pop after reading the pop vinyls book this scratched your gears of war death stuff a little bit more it scratched that itch for <laughs> right, you yeah a little bit more than that book did, did because yeah. of all the gruesome violence right i mean it was fun though and they did it in a way that it made me feel like i was a teenager reading the book yeah you know all the way mm-hmm. that the language it's exactly how a young person first coming into their adulthood would behave like oh no you make a dick you <laughs> jerk you know i don't know i didn't all this guy, kill a whole bunch of people when I hit puberty, but well, that's I'm not just saying my you kill personal a whole bunch story. Of people. <laughs> not for lack of trying, I'm sure, Rach. <laughs> but I, I did love how they were expressing the teenage rebellion angle in this book, especially through the main character, because her whole rebellion about being a superhero is rebelling against what her siblings already are, which are the evil people. And she was trying to be a good person. She just kept getting it wrong. So she, wrong. She was doing her best. She was doing her best. Come on, cut her some slack. I think the cherry on top at the end of this book that really cemented what I thought I thought about the book was the uh, the letter in the back of the book from the, the author. His column is called right. right in the Nuts. 
but W R I T E, right in the nuts. Right. I'm like, yep, that's that's the tone I thought you were taking, and he, he carried it through all the way to the end. And he stuck the landing. Yeah, it, it gave me Deadpool <laughs> without being a copy of Deadpool. It it kind of did. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. But it wasn't the character yeah. Deadpool. The whole book was Deadpool. It, the yeah. entire book behaved mm-hmm. in that way. I could see this kind of being one of his like dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a fever dream that Deadpool had when yeah. he had some bad ramen. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I think this may be the first time since this group of drawn and panel panelists has gotten together that all three books are books that we would want to read the next issues of. Yeah, yeah I think actually. it's fair. Yeah. I think yep. it is. Yeah. I mean, they've all been good. Headless, you know, that's a great book from Scout. Really going to be fun. Gears of War Pop is probably my top pick out of this three wow. at this point. Yeah, I really like that one. That was so much was fun. Cute. Yeah. Oh. And then Pretty Violent. I mean, Rachel, I, you know, I'm with you. Everything about <laughs> I, the book I love. I want all of them. <laughs> it's time to do the lottery quick pick. We're not going to get this lucky again. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Call in your office, Mr. White. Oh, thanks, Lois. Oh, by the way, Kent, I don't think you know Miss Lane. Lois, this is Clark Kent. Oh, how do you do? Uh, you wait here till I get back, Kent. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying what we do, help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And we love to hear from our podcast listeners, so please write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And that will wrap it up for this edition of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, before we get out of here, though, I want to ask a question, something that I've never really understood. But since we just finished talking about Pretty Violent and the superhero slash villain, maybe thing, person, lady (laughs) that she is in that book, she has the power of flight. Mm -hmm. And there's something that I've always been curious about, and it revolves around how the heroes fly. Like, I, I get that they jump really high and then they swoosh around and everything, but how in the hell do they turn directions so quickly and move around and everything because it's not like they're pushing off buildings or anything like you would if you were in space you know you have to push off of something to generate direction Mm -hmm. how do you how do they fly this is a riff off of a discussion we were having offline the other day george and so i didn't know either and you know being kind of a science nerd i'm like there's got somebody's got a thought about that so i went looking Mm -hmm. and specifically i looked up how does superman fly and change directions and generate thrust and inertia because like you said once you're floating in dreams i've had where i'm flying i'm out of control i'm just floating toward the ceiling and flailing my arms i look like william cat the greatest american (laughs) hero i'm really not control of it that says nothing to your ocd nature at all no not at all. I need to be in control of that. <laughs> so what I learned, and it could, there could be conflicting things, but how does Superman fly? I was blown away by this. I, I figured it has something to do with the, the red sun, yellow sun thing. But apparently right, yeah. he actually kind of can override the power of gravity. There's a like a skin tight kind of bubble around him that he's able to control gravity. So you ever notice in, in the huh. movies, like when he kneels down in his superhero pose about to take off, they show a close up of little pebbles on the ground kind of vibrating. Right. He, yeah. he's, it, those are being affected by his control of gravity. So he's not going to jump up. What he does is he falls up at the rate he wants to. That wow. makes Superman so much cooler. Why don't they advertise I know that? they should talk I about know. this. Right. And so when he's in the air and he wants to change direction, he literally changes gravity to make him fall sideways. And when he picks up like a giant train or a boat, why doesn't it snap in half like the Titanic? He's affecting the gravity of that thing. So it doesn't weigh anything. That's how he's holding it inside of that gravity control little bubble he's created. And I was like, it's like his own warp field from Star Trek. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And I'm like, right. Why why don't they (laughs) tell us this? What what just screws Superman? We need Gravity Man. I think that's the coolest thing. We'll just do that. Yeah, that's well. Yeah. I mean, you Anti-gravity know, originally, dude. I'm sure that Simon and Schuster. Well, first he wasn't he didn't flying; fly at he first. was jumping. Yeah, right. he was yeah. just jumping. You know? yeah. yeah, but uh, in the early days, they were just he can fly. Nobody really thought through the you know the physics of it. But now they have, and they've come up with this cool idea, and they're not advertising it. That's yeah, feels like a big whiff and a miss. You're right there, in the lead the there. That was the coolest thing. Power ever. <laughs> it's probably retconned, <laughs> but it's smart. <laughs> Yeah. Well, one thing that's also smart are all the wonderful patrons we have mm-hmm. over at patreon.com yeah, slash Gen X Grown Up. They are the and best. 
I'm talking about you, Marcus, Mike, Greg, Agile, Slomo, Corey, Will, Blasted or Stash It, Levi, Dana, Dan, Chad, Stian, Thomas, Stu, and T2. Ooh, you made it in one breath. Uh, That's because you took a big <sighs> breath at the beginning. You, you, I you took cheated. a big breath. <laughs> <laughs> I had to like fill up the one and a half lungs I have left in this life to get through that whole list, which is a great first world problem to have, right? I mean, yeah. it is so awesome that we get that support from so many people every single month, a buck, three bucks. I think some of them are like five or seven dollars or something for the upper thing, maybe ten yeah. for getting a, a puzzle cube or something. It we do so much in order to make this show fun and entertaining for those of you listening and those of you who take a chance to reach into your wallets and send us a little bit of mm-hmm. that Starbucks coffee money every <laughs> single month. It just it may it warms our hearts in the way that the pumpkin spice latte warms yours every fall. Pumpkin spice <laughs> latte, feel all appreciated. <laughs> it really did. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm so grateful and uh, I'm humbled every time I see that list. Well, we will be back in two weeks with another one of our regular episodes. But next week, our back issue edition of the Drawn and Panel podcast will focus squarely on the broad shoulders <laughs> of everyone's favorite mutant berserker, Wolverine. When we talk about Wolverine Volume One. Issue number one. Yay! This one comes right out of the heyday of my Gen X youth in 1982, and uh, he heads to feudal Japan and uh, taking on the the crime lords with his adamantium claws. Yeah, it's gonna be a blast. We're gonna enjoy it. Before we get out here, I want to say thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us today. Not a problem. And John, you as well. Always appreciate you. Yep, always fun. And podcast listener, we appreciate you most of all, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at the GWW.com. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.